morning if that um, I can tell you you know it said that Satan is the prince of power of the air times in the first place he always attacks is the sound system so you just got to know that going into that what well, well good morning it's absolutely my joy to be here. My name is Dale Marks and a member here at Pillar. For those of you who are visiting, you know, every time you visit a church, you always have a new pastor show up that day, right? You're like, am I going to see the real guy? But our pastor, uh, Colby, and his family, they're on a well-deserved sabbatical right now. And uh, so we, you get a rotation of uh, members of the church right now who are coming through that. And would ask you to continue to pray for the Garmin family while they're on sabbatical. I'd also ask that um, Pastor Clint's in California. Um, with 29 Palms, which is great. Um, so we just ask you to pray uh, for them as well. Um, and there's a tie here and a connection. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, um, yes, I'm one of the old guys here, but that really dates back to more than 17 years ago. Um, we were part of the sending church uh, that helped start Pillar. And um, there's a lot of me in the sound system. That's really great. Um, ask my wife, you don't need a lot of me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what, what I would say is this is, um, we, um, we prayed so much about that, and I want to tell you the encouragement and the joy that comes every time we gather, because have you ever prayed a prayer and wondered how it was going to turn out? Countless prayers, prayed literally on our face, men gathered, women gathered to see a church planting movement start, and so to see Heart for the Nations, to see almost 30 church plants right now. From prayers prayed in faith with no idea what God was going to do 17 years ago. And then even more so for us to God to bring us back here so we get to see it um, is a reward that I really don't deserve. Um, but God is so faithful. So this morning, um, we're going to continue our Gospel Clarity series. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you would turn there, please. Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 6. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. And if you would, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Paul writes this, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father God, as we come again, and as Ryan's already prayed, Father, would you just open our hearts and our minds to what you need to say today? God, may, us, may we be receptive to your word. Um, and God, get me out of the way so that I can only say the things that you want. Lord, we give you all the glory and the praise. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So you can be seated. So two weeks ago, Carrie brought you a message about the benefits of peace with God. Now, if you didn't get a chance to see that, I'd recommend go back to our website, PillarDumfries.com. Check it out on the website. He did a great job. Um, 
But we know that if the fruit of the gospel is peace, then Paul in this portion of Romans that we're going to look at this morning is going to point out to us how we arrive at that place of peace. And so what we're going to see is that Christ rescues us and puts us into right relationship with God. Christ rescues us and puts us into right relationship with God. And the key word that I want you to see this morning is this word rescue, rescue. And there's going to be four points that I want you to see. Up front, I'm going to give you all of this, in case you later want to take a nap. Um, Four points that you want to see here. The first one is that our rescue is in Christ. Our rescue is in Christ. The second, our rescue does not depend on who we are. If our rescue is in Christ, then it's certainly not depending upon who we are. And then the third thing is that our rescue depends on Christ's righteousness, Christ's righteousness. And then finally, that our rescue reconciles us to God. Our rescue reconciles us to God. Now, before we moved back to the Northern Virginia area, we had previously spent uh, five years down in Panama City, Florida at Tyndall Air Force Base. So for all you Marines, yes, I'm Air Force. Please forgive me for that, but it was a really good career, and I'm grateful for it. Um, But while I was down there working, um, I was at a thing called First Air Force, Air Force's Northern. And... Uh, one of the jewels in that command was an organization called the Air Force Rescue Coordination Center. It's a mouthful. But what that rescue center did was they provide 24-7 rescue coordination throughout the continental United States. So if there's an aircraft that goes down, a, a beacon, a lost hiker, uh, something the local authorities cannot take care of themselves, they call for military assistance, and the military goes out, and we provide that local assistance. Um, hundreds and hundreds of saves. Uh, last uh, we had, when I left, we had over 11,000 uh, attempts at rescue uh, during that time frame. People are finding really interesting ways to get lost in America still. So uh, a few years ago, though, we got a call in the rescue center, and there was a cargo ship 800 miles to the east of the, uh, of the eastern seaboard out in the Atlantic, and this cargo ship had had a fire. And there were four injured crewmen out on this boat. And those crewmen really needed immediate assistance or they were going to die. And so they called the Coast Guard. Well, the Coast Guard doesn't have the same capabilities as the military does, and they can only go out about 150 miles. So now we're at 800 miles. So they call the rescue center. The rescue center goes out, and uh, we find a couple of crews out of New York. Uh, There's a rescue unit up there. And they get two Black Hawk helicopters in a C-130, and they fly the 800 miles out into the Atlantic to go drop a couple of pararescue men out of the C-130. They parachute onto the boat. They treat the wounded. They stabilize them. And eventually, after lots of refuelings, the helicopters arrive, able to hoist them up, and then fly all the way back to New York, where they can then get these four injured people, uh, the crew members, uh, to a treatment facility, and they were ultimately saved. And then on top of that, because this is just the way this community works, once this team arrived back in New York, they actually went to the extra step of making arrangements to get the families of the injured crew reunited with them in the hospital. It's pretty cool. Um, very difficult rescue, very, very complicated, um, and pretty spectacular. They, they received some awards for that. But I have to tell you, as amazing as that rescue was, It is absolutely nothing compared to the rescue that God has for his children. This book, this entire book, is a story 
of rescue. All 66 books, from beginning to end, it tells us the story of creation to the fall to rescue and then to reconciliation. And so Paul is going to show us exactly that in this passage of Romans as we look at that beginning in verse 6. And so again, the first thing that we want to see in this passage is this, that our rescue is in Christ. Our rescue is in Christ. Let me read verse 6 again. He says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Notice how he starts out there. He shows us our condition. He says, while we were still weak, that's when Christ died for us. Much like those injured crew members from the story, we were, we are weak. And in fact, it's in acknowledging our weakness, it's in acknowledging our brokenness, that we are in a condition in which we can be saved. We can cry out for that rescue. It's recognizing that we need to be saved, that we cannot do it on our own. I like how pastor and author Paul Tripp says it. He says, the fact that God has placed his love on you is not an endorsement of your character, but a demonstration of his. It's not an endorsement of your character, it's an endorsement of God's character. Paul goes on then to say, at the right time. So we were weak, and then exactly at the right time, Christ died for us. In God's sovereignty, and according to his perfect plan, in fitting with the entire story, Christ dies for the ungodly. He died for us. It wasn't random. It wasn't a guess. It wasn't like God got surprised and went, oh, I better do something about it. I just got a call for rescue. God, from the very beginning, had planned this. At exactly the moment that he ordained, from the foundations of the world, he demonstrates his love to us by rescuing us. Paul in Galatians 4 writes it this way. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You know, for so many, for me, we want to be in control. Any controllers in here? Amen, right? Yeah. We want to be in control. We want to dictate the time and choosing and season and when things are going to happen. I want to be in control. My life oftentimes is dictated by the very nature of the fact that when life isn't in control, I'm struggling to try to put it back into control, right? And here what God is telling us is he chose the exact time and place for this to happen. It wasn't random. In his sovereignty, so many times in my desperation to want to control God, I, I want to make that effort to go, God, you need to act and do these things in my life. Amen? And when he doesn't, I get disappointed that God didn't actually serve me. How does that work? But he moves precisely at the moment that is going to give him the greatest glory, and he does so, get this, he does so for our very best. There's moments in my life when I don't always see it that way, but that's exactly how he moves it. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you, you can rest assured that God is going to act at exactly the right time in our lives as well. Look to then, Paul ends that verse. He says, Christ died for the ungodly. We start out being weak, 
And we were, but we're more than that. He says we are ungodly apart from Christ, and the work of the Holy Spirit has to come in to rescue us. It means that not only were we without God, it says more, we were enemies of God. I was going to say more about that in verse 10. Let me ask you this question this morning. What do you bring to your salvation? Nothing but your sin. The only offering I had when Christ saved me was my sin. And he took that. What condition was I in if I'm a sinner? Part of the ungodly, right? And so he comes in and he rescues me. And aren't you glad that God looked upon us in our state, being ungodly, being an enemy, and he said, I love you. I want to rescue you. And so what we see then is that our rescue is in Christ. The next thing we see as we look at verse 7 is that our rescue does not depend on who we are. Our rescue does not depend on who we are. It says in verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. I want you to imagine for a moment those helicopter crews, they're flying out over the Atlantic, water everywhere, it's a long journey, and as they're doing that, they go, you know what? We should probably check on these guys. Like they start running background checks. And they go, I wonder who these guys are. Would they do that? What if they turned up some bad stuff? Like what if these are bad dudes? And they don't want to go out there. Would they have continued with the rescue? Or would they have turned around? What, what if those that they were going out to rescue weren't Americans? What if they were from some foreign nation? What if they didn't speak English? What if they weren't from the right tribe? Would we still go rescue them? Not only did they go out to rescue them, but the only thing that that crew knew and the only thing that was important to them right now was they were in distress, they were injured, and they needed rescue. And so they went. They didn't check to see if they were highly educated, whether they were rich or poor, from the right families, from the right or the left, political party or had the right clothes or even spoke the same language all they knew was that they were in serious distress and they needed to be saved so these men and women put their lives on the line so that they could go out and do that rescue and so then what we see in verse 7 is Paul here is drawing a comparison that while it might be conceivable that people would go to the extent to lay down their life for a righteous person like that would be a good thing even a good person, the idea that someone, our Savior, would be willing to lay down their life for a sinner, for an ungodly, for an enemy of God, is almost inconceivable. You know, within our pillar family, some of us might even get this. For those of us who have experienced combat, who've sworn an oath to, to uh, protect and defend the Constitution, we've said that we will willingly put ourselves in harm's way to defend our nation to have the back of the men or women that we serve with. And we do so often, actually, without even knowing a lot about the people that we get to serve with, whether they're a good person or not. That you put your life on the line for someone beside you you might not even like. But we do it because it's our duty. We do it because we swore an oath to uphold. And we won't let a brother or a sister down. Many of you may not know the importance of a, of a date, but I want to share with you a story real quick about uh, May 26, 2009. Now, May 26, 
2009 holds a lot of significance for many of us. It was on that date in Panjshir province of Afghanistan. Senior Airman Ashton Goodman and Lieutenant Colonel Mark Stratton laid down their lives to protect the convoy they were leading from the suicide bomber. Mark was a, also a member of Stafford Baptist, part of the sending church for Pillar. He was a dear brother, uh, a man of God. You wouldn't find a greater husband, father, brother in Christ than you would Mark. And I remember the conversations he and I had because I was headed to Iraq while he was headed to Afghanistan. We talked a lot about what could happen. But I guarantee you this, that when Mark and Ashton put their vehicle between themselves and the vehicle IED that was coming at them to protect the convoy that was behind them, they didn't once stop to consider whether or not the people behind them were deserving of it or not. They didn't consider whether they were worthy of it or whether they were from the right group or whether they liked them or not. They did what they were asked because they gave themselves protect those behind themselves. And you see, our rescuer chooses to save us not based upon our merit or who we are, but he does so because he loves us, because of who he is. And he knows that we're in distress, and he knows we need to be saved. And so we see then our rescue is in Christ, and that our rescue does not depend on who we are. The third thing we see then is that our rescue depends on Christ's righteousness. Our rescue depends on Christ's righteousness. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love how this verse starts. But God. But God. Of all the words of Scripture, I don't think there's two greater words in my life than those two, but God. Those words are meaningful, they're powerful, they're encouraging. Listen to some of these but God moments from scripture. After the flood, at Genesis 8, it says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Psalm 73 my flesh and may, my heart may fail. Any of you right there? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Acts 3, Peter preaches, he says, you killed the author of life. That just had ended there. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But God. But God. But God. Aren't you grateful that there is but God in the Bible? Aren't you glad we have but God moments in life? Listen to me. But God brings hope when we can't see a way through. But God means failure and ashes are not the end of the story. But God says God always gets the last word, not our circumstances. When my rejections and expectations and excuses reach to heaven like manure to the top of the barn, 
but God. Say that with me. But God. When I feel like I failed a thousand times and I get to a thousand and one, but God. When I can't believe that the Savior of the world, Almighty God, Creator, would die for someone like me, but God. See, this morning, some of you need a but God moment in your life. You need a but God that says, here's where I'm at. And you go, it's hopeless. And I go, no, but God. He comes in and he rescues. Look what it says in verse 8. But God then does what? He shows us his love for us. Now, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what it says? God didn't shout his love at us. He didn't text it to us. He didn't email it. He didn't send it on Instagram or send us an emoji. It says that God shows us. He demonstrated his love for us. How? Christ died for us. It's a demonstration. Consider how Ashton Goodman and Mark Stratton gave their lives for their team. They showed them. They showed them. They demonstrated through action. Consider how those rescuers put their lives on the line to get out to those injured crew members. They showed them. And God shows us. He demonstrates it. His love for us and that while we were still sinners, our condition, Christ died for us. We were still sinners. My friend Dave Georgia puts it this way. Imagine if you only sin once a day. Just once. Imagine that. If you only sin once a day, you still have to account for 65,000 sins at the end of your life before a holy and righteous God. Just once. You'd call that a pretty good life, right? And yet the standard for God is what? Absolute holiness. No sin. How do you do that? You need a rescuer. Earlier when Kate read Psalm 71, it says this in verse 12, O God... Be not far from me. Oh, my God, make haste to help me. So how did God answer that plea? By sending Jesus to die on the cross, bearing my shame, paying the penalty that was due for my sin, rescuing me and calling me his own child, freeing me from the punishment I was deserving, and putting me into right relationship Another friend of mine in Colorado, Pastor Daniel Rawl, he said it this way. He said, blood was spilled, that life would be gained, that freedom would be purchased, that right standing with God would be restored, that you can be free. Let's say that again. Blood was spilled, that life would be gained, that freedom would be purchased, that right standing with God would be restored so that you can be free. So we've seen these things so far. Our rescue is in Christ. Our rescue does not depend on who we are. Our rescue depends on Christ's righteousness. And then finally, our rescue reconciles us to God. Our rescue reconciles us to God. Look with me at verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. If you go back with me to Romans chapter 3, 
Listen to what Paul says about Christ and what he has done for us by his sacrifice. This is Romans 3, beginning in verse 23. For all have sinned. Stop there. I like words. I did a word study on the word all. You know what the word all means? All. Like is in all y'all. All. Or all have sinned and met up to God's standards. Oh wait, that's not what it says. What does it say? It says we have all sinned and we all fall short. Even with 65,000 sins, you're still falling well short. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. That word justified means a legal declaration by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, means a full covering, a complete atonement by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show, to demonstrate God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Like I said, I'm a bit of a word geek, and so when we see couple of my favorite words put together, not only but God, but now I got sense and therefore put together. This is fun stuff for me. I diagram sentences, teachers. I just got to tell you, I'm, I'm that kind of a person. So verse 9 begins with the word sense. What that means is it refers back to what we just read in Romans chapter 3. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Since that happened, and that's true, and then adds therefore. The therefore refers back to verse 8 of Romans 5. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Alright, so let's tie this together. Sense means what Paul says in Romans 3 is absolutely true and it has come to pass. Therefore means that the pivotal word says what now comes before that leads to what we're going to see next. Alright, putting all that together. The result of all this is Paul reminds us that we who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ have been justified by His blood. And that is, we have been declared righteous. Not our righteousness. says the Scripture, our righteousness is like filthy rags. Okay? But through Jesus Christ, we have right standing with God. We have been declared righteous because of the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. God's wrath, that refers to God's righteous anger towards sin. But it also refers to the just punishment of sin. Apart from Christ, we are all under God's wrath. And we know that what? The wages of sin is death. It's kind of final. Now, we don't like to talk about God's wrath. We'd much prefer to talk about God's love. But God's goodness and God's wrath These are not opposites. They are all part of the character of God. They are part of who He is. And it might sound confusing. Let me explain it this way. If I ask you, what's the opposite of love? Hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. You see, if you hate, that means you care. It means you have an emotion. Love and hate are not opposites. They're similar. Apathy... I don't care. I don't want to care. I dismiss you. What is worse than that? 
And so you see what happens here is God looks upon our sin. And he knows that left alone, if the wages of sin is death, sin is going to do what to us? It's going to kill us. We have a terminal condition called sin. And so God could look at that and he could go, become apathetic. I don't care about your sin. Is that a loving God? So God loves us. God has righteous, justified anger towards the sin, the thing that is killing us. So in love, what does God want to do about our sin? He wants us to get rid of it. We can't get rid of it. He can. So God is going to do what as a rescuer? He is going to go after us, right? He will come after us. He pursues us to eliminate the sin in our lives so that we can be reconciled to Him. I got a message this morning. Remember my team called last night, said she was headed to Pennsylvania. Her dad was terminal. And this morning, he had cancer. And this morning at 6.30, she said he passed. We've been praying and working with the family for a long time. And our prayers were what? God, take the cancer out of his body. Let him live. We were angry about cancer. I wanted cancer to be gone. I was mad about the cancer. And if you think about that, and I know you all have stories like that, if we care like that about the thing that's killing our loved ones or our friends, imagine for a moment how God feels about the sin in our life. And you wonder, why does God pursue us? It's because in love and his wrath over sin, he says, I will do everything possible, everything that he possibly can, because he wants to rescue us. He does not want us to die in that condition. So God loves us. He wants that gone. We've been saved then from the wrath and the punishment of sin declared righteous through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But there's more. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When you read Scripture, if you see a word repeated, you should usually pay attention. If you see it three times, you need to all stop and try to figure out why is it there three times. God clearly has something to say. And that word, word reconciled means that we have peace with God. It means the relationship has been restored. Sin no longer has rule and reign. Notice how it starts out by showing us once again our standing with God before our salvation. It says we were enemies. So it's not only that we were weak, we were enemies of God. And yet, despite being an enemy of God, God pursued us. And He says, I want to reconcile you. I want to restore you. I want to rescue you and put you into a right relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's more than being legally declared righteous. Standing before a judge, he goes, okay, that's taken care of. God wants relationship with us. If I have an argument with my wife, Patty, 
Are we still married? Yeah. Right? But is there joy in the relationship? Probably not. Probably not. And that's very much what God is trying to do here in the relationship through reconciliation, restoring peace. David cried out in that amazing Psalm 51, he declares, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. It wasn't restore to me salvation, it was restore to me the joy of my salvation. What David wanted was a restored fellowship with God. And in my, in, when we practice forgiveness, what I'm working there on is not only restoration with God through forgiveness, but then when I practice forgiveness with my wife example, right, I'm restoring the joy of the relationship. And I can't do it unless I get it right with God first. And so this is a critical part of being at peace with God. Verse 11, Paul says then, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we rejoice? Because we've received reconciliation. We've been restored. We've been rescued. We've been put at peace with our God. Think back about those injured crew members. As they got to the hospital, not only did they get rescued, but they got to be reconciled to their families. They were brought back in to the family, and that was restored. Our separation from God caused by our sin was restored by God through Jesus Christ. And that should lead us to rejoice, to sing, to shout with praise, to worship the one who has done that for us. Psalm 71, right earlier, says this in verse 14. I will continually, I will hope continually, and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Christ has rescued us. He's put us into right relationship with God. Maybe today you need a but God moment. Maybe today you need to be rescued. This would be a great day for that. You can be reconciled to God. Declared righteous through our Savior Jesus Christ and find peace with God through that reconciliation. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today's the day. Be reconciled, be rescued. For some of us, our walk with God has been hard. We need a but God moment. We need to be reminded that God is faithful and that He is going to turn things around. So the four things that we've seen are rescues in Christ. Our rescue does not depend on who we are. Our rescue depends on Christ's righteousness and our rescue reconciles us to God. In a moment... We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a visible act. It's a demonstration of this very gift of grace through faith that God has given us. It celebrates what Christ has done for us. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake with us. If you haven't, we'd ask you to let the elements pass. If you didn't have a chance to get those elements, they're on the table in the back beforehand, and in a moment I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to rejoin us. Please feel free to go back to the table with those elements. And again, I want to invite you, if you have never had that moment where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be rescued, I'm going to pray, 
so the team can come up. But as I do that, I just invite you to surrender your heart to Christ. Can we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, and for your rescue. I thank you, God, that you loved us before we even had a chance to love you. We were still enemies. We were ungodly. God, you pursued us because you love us. You want that thing that's killing us out of us. And you will do whatever you need to get us there. If you've never put your faith in trust, simply pray, Father, forgive me. I don't really know and understand all of this, but I know I need to be rescued. So, Jesus, please come and rescue me. Father, for those of us who are in a moment where our life has been hard, maybe our walk hasn't been the way it should be. Maybe, God, we just need a but-God moment in our life. Would you show up in a powerful way that we would know your presence, and that we can sense your peace, the comfort that comes from being in right relationship with you. So Father, thank you for this time this morning, and as we gather and as we worship you, let us rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in our reconciliation. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.